0: So for the last few weeks, we have been um, journeying through the Jesus Storybook Bible in this series. Um, Before Andrew went on sabbatical, he started us off the first couple of weeks. He talked about creation and then uh, the fall with um, the garden. And then Jed picked up the next couple of weeks, so we talked about Noah. And then last week, he talked about Abraham and Isaac. And what we are seeing is this beautiful story of redemption and restoration that Jesus provides for us. So in the title itself, it says, every story whispers his name. So we are seeing in the Old Testament how Jesus is woven through all of these different stories. And I don't know about you, but for me, I don't often look at the Old Testament that way. So this has been really beautiful um, to be able to see it like this. But if you don't have one of these we do have extra of the Jesus Storybook Bibles. They're at our info booth, which is out the doors and to the left. We have lots of them. So if you have grandkids, kids, even if you don't, these books are awesome. Um, The pictures are beautiful. The artist did a great job. And it just explains a lot of these Old Testament stories in a way that is easy to understand. So we have a suggested donation of $10, but if you can't, that's okay. Um, just go grab one and take it home with you today. We also have um, these bookmarks. I don't know if you've mentioned these since week one, but Jenny made these for us. And these just walk you through the whole series. It has all of the different stories we're covering. So where we've been, where we're headed. And if you want one to stick in your Bible or to stick in your Jesus Storybook Bible, they're on the counter as well. So you can grab one. But this morning, I get to share the story of Leah. And I feel really honored to share her story and really excited for a couple of reasons. Um, the first reason is just because I think this is one of those stories where every single person in this room is going to relate to it. Um, sometimes we stand up here when we teach, and we hope that. We hope everybody resonates with what we feel like the Lord gave us, uh, what we're supposed to say. But the truth is, just not everybody does. It just doesn't hit for everybody every time. But I think this is one of those stories where if we uh, think about it, we can all resonate with what Leah was going through. And the other reason that I'm excited is because I just love to see the way the Lord works through women in the Bible. It gives me hope, it gives me an excitement inside of me that maybe he could use me as well. So I wanna give you just a quick overview of this story. Uh, we're not gonna go through all the scripture, but basically what is happening is Jacob has come to Laban, his uncle, and uh, falls in love with Rachel, his younger daughter, and wants to marry her. So he strikes a deal with Laban and says, what can I do to, to marry Rachel. And he says, well, if you work for me for seven years, we'll have a deal. So he works for seven years. And the Bible actually says, I don't have this verse for you, but um, that it didn't even seem like seven years to Jacob because of his love for Rachel, which I thought, oh, that's so sweet. Um, he loved her that much. But what happens is Laban performs a switch without him knowing. And he actually sends Leah to Jacob that wedding night um, because their custom in that day was that the older daughter would be married first. So of course, Jacob wakes up the next day and he's furious. He wakes up next to Leah and he goes to Laban and he said, why would you do this to me? And Laban agrees, well, if you work for me another seven years and you spend this wedding week with Leah, I will give you Rachel and then you can work for me another seven years. So um, Jacob agrees, and he ends up with two wives. One he loves dearly, and one not so much. So as I was preparing um, for this message, I went back to a book that I read several years ago. I had actually been feeling a nudge to reread this book anyway, lately. Um, but then when I saw what we were going to be talking about today, I thought, okay, this is a good time. It's called Uninvited. It's by Lisa Turkhurst. It says, living loved when you feel less than left out and lonely. And this book is about rejection. Lisa shares a lot of stories in here in her own life of how she's battled rejection and how she has learned to find fullness and wholeness in God, looking to him for her identity and her purpose instead of the people around her. So I wanna share a quote with you from this book that really stood out to me, um, especially the second time. And we're gonna put it up here on the screen for you. Rejection isn't just an emotional feeling it's a message that alters what you believe about yourself. Rejection is not just an emotional feeling. It actually alters what you believe about yourself. I think that's kind of scary. Um, It gives people in our lives a lot of power over us, and we can end up in this spiral. And I tried to think of a good visual to help you picture this today, but I couldn't think of anything, so I'm just going to try to explain it and hope it makes sense. But As humans, we are by nature just empty. We are looking for a fullness and a wholeness that we don't have. So we look to the people around us and we want them to see us. We want them to be happy with us, proud of us. We want to hear affirmations from them so we feel better about ourselves so that we can get filled up again. Instead of looking this way. So we're, we're here instead of here, which is ironic because the only way we're ever going to get complete fullness is to go here. But we keep our eyes here because we want, and in good ways, we people-please, we try to do good things for people so that they see us. But the problem with that is we're never going to get that fullness until we start looking um, toward the Father. Um, but we keep taking our eyes off of him and you better believe that the enemy is going to use this against us. He knows we operate like this as humans, so what does he do? He says, oh, do you see her sitting over there? She's, she's thinking about you right now and she doesn't like you. This is what she's thinking, and your mind starts to race. Or you see two people sitting over here and they're talking, so the enemy says, yep, yeah, they're talking about you right now. They don't like you. Or social media, which is just the worst. You only have four likes on your post. He has 15, that means people like him more than they like you. So many things can make us feel unseen, unheard and unloved. We get passed over for a promotion. We find out that there was a gathering and all our friends were invited except for us. Girlfriend leaves us for another guy or vice versa. It's rejection and it hurts It can catch us off guard, Um, it can wreak havoc in our lives, and it messes, the worst part is that it messes with our self-worth, our self-esteem, how we view ourselves. So when someone says something about us, or worse yet, when we think we know that somebody's thinking or saying something about us, it doesn't just hurt emotionally. It's actually been proven that there is a link between physical pain and the pain of rejection. Um, they say they kind of piggyback off of each other. So if you look at an MRI scan of someone's brain who is in physical pain, a part of their brain lights up. That exact same part will light up when someone is feeling the pain of rejection. So there was a group of scientists that decided to do a little test because they wondered if Tylenol would help the pain of rejection just like it would the pain of something physical that's happening to your body. So they got, gathered a group of people, they gave some of them Tylenol, and some of them got a sugar pill, and then they asked them to recall um, a very significant, hurtful rejection experience. And people reported the people who had the Tylenol didn't have as much pain as the people who had the sugar pill. So rejection is a big deal, and it can do a lot to our bodies and our emotions and our minds. So I just want to imagine what that week was like for Leah. Leah. That she had to spend with Jacob. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us how she feels, so we just kind of have to put ourselves in her shoes. And I don't know about you, but I don't do this very often. When I pick up the Bible and I, you know, in the morning or in the evening, whenever I'm doing my devotions, I'm looking for a word from the Lord. God, just speak to me. Speak to the situation I'm in or the struggles I'm having. Just talk to me through your word. But I don't often sit in the space of the person I'm reading about and try to feel their emotions or what they were going through. I don't know if it's because they lived so long ago. I think I can't relate. Um, But let's think about what she would have been through. So 15 short verses, I think, is where this story is covered. She was rejected multiple times. So Leah was the oldest. It was expected that she would get married first. Jacob comes along, but guess what, Leah? He doesn't want to marry you. You're ugly. Your sister's pretty. So he wants her. And then, her own dad realizes, well, if he marries Rachel, that's going to look bad for me, because it's our custom that my oldest daughter gets married first. So not only has she been rejected by Jacob, now her own dad is scheming against her. And on top of that, her sister gets mad at her because she stole her husband. This all coming from a woman who probably has very severe self-esteem issues anyways, because she's labeled as ugly, right? Um, in Uninvited, Lisa's book, she talks a lot about um, different experiences of rejection that she's had in her life. Um, some really funny stories. Honestly, if, if you haven't read it, this is a good read. It goes really quick. Um, but she tells lots of stories where she feels rejected. One of the stories is um, she's at a party, and it seems like everybody in the room has somebody to talk to. She is kind of looking for somebody to make eye contact with to start a conversation. She's just getting nothing. So she looks over, and she sees the bartender serving drinks, and she creates this whole scenario in her mind. She's like, well, if I go over and I talk to him, I'll ask him about this, and then he'll respond with this, and we can have a conversation, and people won't think that I'm all alone. So she goes over to the bartender, starts the conversation, and he, it's a real short response, like, yeah, okay. And he gives her the drink, and he walks away. And she's just stuck there all by herself in a room full of people. She feels utterly alone. So she is headed to a leaders gathering that she's actually really excited about. She thinks okay, these are going to be my people in this gathering, people in ministry, authors. I'm going to be able to connect with these people, have conversation. Just We'll be able to fill each other up. And so she gets to the gathering, and um, it's a small room, but it has lots of tables set up. About 10 people are seated, assigned to each table. So she goes in the room, and she sees the table where lots of the people she was hoping to connect with are seated and she's not at that table. So she's a little bummed about that. Finally, after searching all the tables, in the very corner, she finds her table. So she sits down, she puts her name tag on and she's just excited for people to come in that she gets to meet. And slowly the room starts to fill up and pretty soon she starts to get a little nervous because nobody has sat at her table. And then they give the blessing for the meal and she realizes that for whatever reason those other nine people haven't shown up. So she is all alone at the table. So, thoughts are zooming through her mind and she's just trying not to not to freak out that she's there by herself and she feels like the Lord took this phrase and just kind of dropped it into her head. She said I didn't hear the audible voice of God, but I know this wasn't my own thought. She heard you aren't set aside. You're set apart. Lisa, you aren't set aside. You're set apart. Because being set aside would mean that she was rejected. Being set apart means that she was given an assignment that she needed preparation for. And so she talks about in her book, she said, if I would have had a table full of people around me, I don't know if I would have heard that word from the Lord for me. So I've been pondering that phrase for the last couple of weeks. Being set apart. What does that mean? What does that look like? So in biblical terms, here's what it means. I just want to read it to you so I say this correctly. It says, holiness is not about being perfect but instead being separated from what is sinful. We can't make ourselves perfect or blameless, but we can choose to be set apart or different. We can choose to live in a different way. We can choose to walk in a way that we are opening ourselves up to God, for God to use us for his glory. That does not mean we're perfect, but that means we are intentional about the way that we are living our lives so that he can use us. So I hear that and I think, oh, but that's not me. God, I have made so many mistakes in my life. I made a mistake yesterday. You, there's no way you would use me for your holy purposes, for your glory. But I think there are lots of people in the Bible who felt that same way. So I want to go through a list with you this morning just quick. We're going to go through their names. I'm gonna give you people in the Bible who God used for his glory that had very good reasons for why he shouldn't have used them for his glory. And I wanna see if you resonate with any of these. So see if you can pick yourself your excuse, what your excuse would be out of this, out of this group. So first one, Abraham, too old. Elijah, suicidal. Joseph, abused. Job, bankrupt. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Noah had a drinking problem. Jeremiah was too young. Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God, probably smelled a little bit like fish. I'm hoping that's none of you this morning. Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Christ three times. Martha was worried about everything. Zacchaeus was small and money hungry. So if I haven't gotten you yet, I think I'm going to get everybody in the room on this one. Are you ready? The disciples fell asleep while praying. Did you all just go down? Yeah? I hope so. No, I don't hope so, but I'm assuming we all did. And Paul was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before actually becoming one. So all of these people would have said, no, God, you can't use me. I can't be set apart for your holy work. So how do we shift our way of thinking? How do we shift our identity from what other people think of us or say of us to what God thinks? And God says, this is really hard. Um, it's hard, and I don't want to pretend like it's easy. It's hard to talk about rejection and try to come up with a plan for how we deal with this well in 25 minutes, so don't, um, don't take that away this morning, that this should be easy because it's not. Um, but we can't control what other people say about us or think about us. We try. We advocate for ourselves if we find out that someone says something or believes something, maybe about something we said that just isn't true or not something we intended, we try to fight for ourselves. We try to explain it away. Well, this is why I said what I said, or this is what I meant. But no matter how much we try to explain it away, we can't change how people feel or think about us. So we have to be able to let go of that. And it's hard. But we need to try to explore what we know to be true about God, um, what we believe about Him. So I've got three questions that I just want us to consider this morning. And I want you to think through what would my answers to these questions be? So the first one is, is God good? The second one, is God good to me? And three, do I trust God to be God? So we're gonna go through each of these. First one, is God good? I don't think this one is up for debate. Um, I think it's simply a fact. When Andrew talked about um, creation on week one, we heard God would speak things into being and they would appear, and they were good, right? Um, When he created humans, they were very good. So we know from the beginning, from day one, God is good, and he creates good things. So I don't think we can debate that, so let's just agree, God is good, right? Is God good to me? Is God good to you? This one is up for you to decide. Do you spend time considering this? Because if you don't, I think you should. I encourage you. Think about how God has been good to you in your life. I've heard this saying many different ways. It's been worded many different ways. But the idea that gratitude and thanksgiving cannot exist in your brain at the same time as things like worry, fear, anxiety. They just can't coexist. And I have found this to be very true. Um, I'm just a worrier by nature. So if something happens and I start to get a little anxious or worried about something, I've tried this many times where being transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? I intentionally think about what am I thankful for? If I'm driving in my car, I look out the window, God, I am thankful for that beautiful sky today. Man, it's gorgeous. Thank you for that. Thank you for the air in my lungs. Thank you for the changing seasons that are happening right now. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my marriage. Just all of the things that I can think for think of that I'm thankful for. And what happens is, very quickly, whatever it was I was worried about kind of disappears. It kind of fizzles away. So there's a reason that the Bible tells us how to think about things. Because God knows how powerful our minds are. Um, so He tells us whatever is true, right, lovely, pure, think about those things. Because as soon as we start to think about the bad and um, try, spiral in that place, we can very quickly forget what we know to be true how good God really is to us. Because we can tend to focus on those things that are hard or sad or frustrating. And then the third one do I trust God to be God? I'll be vulnerable and admit sometimes this is a big no for me. Um, I struggle with trusting God. Is it my personality type? Maybe. Is it because we as humans um, struggle with authority? Maybe. Um, But there's this saying that sometimes we just have to let God be God. And I think that's what we see Leah do in her story. We see how things shift for her. If we would have gone on to read a little bit more, which we will talk about, but um, as we see her shift her gaze to the Lord instead of the people around her, we get to see how God starts to bless her in big ways. So we see her dependence on Jacob's love and affection um, and his acceptance of her shift to, oh wow, this is what God thinks about me and this is how God is using me. And the way that we see that um, are in the coming verses when, we, uh, when she starts talking about the birth of her kids and the way that she names her kids, which is super interesting. I had never looked at this before or considered this before, but biblical names have really strong meaning. Um, if you look back through the Bible, today we name kids a lot of times based on what sounds good or a sentimental name from family or something like that. In biblical times, people named their kids based off of what was going on at that time, or a way that they wanted to see their child fulfill something. So names had meaning. Um, we also saw parents would watch their child grow, and as if, their, if their child didn't maintain whatever that was, they would change their name, like Jacob. Jacob's name later changed to Israel. So names were a big deal. Um, so I want to look at how Leah named her, her kids. But first, let's take a look at twenty-nine thirty-one. So this is the verse right after um, the video ends. Um, and it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So the Lord saw Leah, and he gifted her with a son. Back then, sons were a big deal. Sons were considered, you are being blessed by the Lord. And guess how many Leah ended up having? Six. So it's kind of like a wow. God was really blessing her through the birth of her boys. So we're gonna see how her attention started to shift as she was having her kids. So her first son's name was Reuben. And Reuben means behold a son, or it also means to see. So verse 2932 says, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, there now my husband, therefore now my husband will love me. So Leah has seen that the Lord sees her pain. Right? So she's starting to kind of look toward the Lord a little bit, but she's still hoping that because of this son, now her husband's going to fall in love with her. And then number two is born. His name is Simeon, and his name means heard. Verse 33 Because the Lord has heard that I'm hated, he has given me this son also. So Leah wanted communication with her husband. She's not getting it, but she does know that the Lord hears her. So she's still shifting. So the Lord sees me, now the Lord hears me. And then son number three comes along, and his name is Levi, which means attached. Verse 34, again she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name will be called Levi. So Leah does what most of us do, right? We try to get our eyes focused on the Lord, and then uh uh-oh, she falls back into that trap she was kind of in. She's wanting her husband to notice her because of what she is giving him, these sons. But then son number four comes along. His name is Judah, which means praise. So Leah has finally realized, okay, I'm not getting what I want to get from my husband. He does not love me. I'm just, I'm not there with him. So I'm going to give my life fully to the Lord and let him speak into who I am. So... The verse 2935 says, This time I will praise the Lord. She goes on to have two more sons and a daughter, actually. Um, her other sons are named Issachar and Zebulun, which mean reward and honor. So she sees what the Lord is doing in her life. She sees how he is gifting her and blessing her. But what he's doing for her, what the Lord did for her, went clear beyond anything she could have ever imagined. Um, Her story started with a really painful, unexpected marriage, and it ended up leading to two very significant Old Testament institutions. From Leah comes the Levitical priesthood and the monarchy. So from Levi, who is her third son, comes the priesthood. So as they are having kids, having kids, having kids, Moses and Aaron come from him, come from his line. And then Judah, her fourth son, Leads to the monarchy, which eventually leads to King Jesus. So Leah gets to be the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. So she became the woman that every Jewish woman back then would have envied because she gets to be part of that messianic line. And when did it happen? When did these blessings start happening for her? It's when she turns things over to the Lord. Um, through Judah, Jesus comes. So this, Leah's story in here is the girl no one wanted, So she goes from being the girl that no one wanted to the woman everyone would have envied. And she becomes, she goes from being a nobody to a somebody. And not just a somebody, but a significant, significant somebody. So I think that's one way that we can see how Jesus is woven through this story in the Old Testament. But I think there's a second way. Um, Because if we think about how Leah would have felt, she would have felt set aside, right? She wouldn't have felt set apart. She would have felt set aside Replaced and rejected. And I wonder if anybody else in the Bible experienced those same feelings. So i are going to look at John 1 11, which says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Luke 19 14, and they cast him out, saying, We do not want this man to be our king. So Jesus was set aside. Matthew 27, 21, they chose Barabbas, a robber, rather than him. Jesus could have gone free, but the people replaced him with Barabbas, so he was replaced. In Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and familiar with pain. So Jesus was rejected. So yeah, I think he knew Leah's pain. I think... He knows you. I think he knows everything about you and everything about me and the ways that we have felt rejected or when rudeness or insults come at us, when we face persecution, he sees all of it and he knows how it feels. And there's nobody in the world that loves us more than he does. Uh, The truth is we are all broken. We are going to hurt people. Sometimes intentionally, a lot of times unintentionally but people are going to hurt us as well. So God blesses Leah because he saw her. Um, He saw her hurt and her pain, and he had compassion on her, but this didn't happen instantaneously, and I think that's really important because I think often we look at a small section of Scripture, like 15 verses, and we think that this happened so fast. Leah was hurt, God saw her, God fixed it. But in reality, this happened over the course of years where Leah was trying to figure out how to shift her eyes off of her family and her husband, and focus on the Lord, um, to see what he was doing in her life, to find who she was, what her identity was, her fullness and her purpose, to be able to tune out um, all the other voices that she was hearing, to hear the still small voice of the Lord, because the enemy can be pretty crafty, and he can whisper to us too, and sometimes make us believe that he's someone that he's not. I, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this this morning. Um, but now I have to, because it's bringing emotion. So I can't just stop. Um, I don't want to speak for the other teachers that are up here. But I want to share something that's true for me. Um, anytime that I speak on something that's especially topical, like rejection, man, the enemy comes at me for the couple weeks ahead of the message. Um, With rejection specifically, I think um, I've dealt with this, uh, as I'm sure all of you have, all your life. And I feel like I've gotten to a pretty healthy place where um, if I'm rejected in a situation or someone says something, I know who I am in the Lord. Um, I feel like it stings But there's a peace that I have that I think is a gift from the Lord. So I think the enemy knew that he wasn't getting to me in the last couple weeks, so he went after my kids. Um, Not all of them, but some of them in different ways over the last couple weeks. And man, you think you have something under control and figured out, and then he goes after your kids. And it's like a whole new beast, isn't it, when it's your kids? So I was trying to write this and trying to figure out how do, we, how do we face rejection well? How does that look? So I'm trying to write this, but I'm still battling all of those feelings and those emotions and that hurt. So one thing I want to say about that, if you are struggling with rejection, it's a big deal. And I see you. I feel it. I understand. But two... And this is what kind of hit me last night. If this happens for me, and I'm only up here four times a year, what is this like for our teachers who are up here more? Um, Andrew's up here 40-plus weeks a year. And I can't imagine how difficult that must be to sit in that on a regular basis. So, October is actually Pastor Appreciation Month. And if you've been wondering, hey, how could I I gift our pastors well? Can I make a suggestion? Would you gift them with your prayers? Would you cover them on a daily basis? Would you pray for their marriages, for their kids? This is intense up here. It's just the reality. It's very intense. And I am 100% sure that they would tell you that more than anything else, they want your prayers. So we're going to end things a little differently this morning. Um, I want to invite up our worship team. We are going to have a couple of worship songs at the end. But we're also going to have prayer stations available Um, we want to bless you with the words of the Lord. We want you to hear His truth over you this morning. So we will have five stations. We will have one in this corner, one in this corner, two in the back corners, and then one in the back center. And I encourage you to consider going to receive a blessing. When you go up to the prayer ministers, you don't have to say a word. Just walk up. And they have little slips with a variety of different blessings that they are going to be reading over us this morning. And then you get to take that little slip home with you this week and just sit in the words that the Lord has for you, what He is saying about you, how He feels about you, so that hopefully yeah, we can start to really see and believe how good the Lord is and how He feels about us. So... I'm going to invite the prayer ministers to get set and I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship and you can go to a prayer station at any time during these last two songs. So let's pray. So Father, we long to know your thoughts for us. Who do you see when you look at us. God, as we worship you, as we look to you and as we try to drown out the other voices in our minds, would you speak clearly to us this morning? Would you give us words of affirmation? Would you give us pictures of what you see when you see us? I would you erase any phrases, any words that the enemy has used against us before, feelings of unworthiness, feelings of worthlessness. Help us to trust you more, Father. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.